My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision-making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Rita, welcome to Human First. My God, I'm so excited. It's one of my most favourite topics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, being a lover of humanising innovation, I think it's a really exciting topic to talk about, about being human first. Absolutely. So talk to us then. Let's start with human first. Tell us how you would describe yourself as a human being. I think it's 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 been a revelation for me lately in terms of, you know, spending a lot of time with technical people. They're always concerned about technical issues. And it's really interesting. When you break it down, it ends up being the people. Um, And it's fascinating. So it's almost like a people first, human first. And if you don't think about the people and engage with people, then technology just can't happen. Uh, So so, and me being a human being, I've lately been really inspired by this idea of, you know, we have EQ and we have IQ, but this new concept of SQ, where you bring your spirituality quotient to work as well. And I think people are really embracing this idea because... It's a new way of looking at it where it's not just about, you know, whether you have emotional intelligence or you're intelligent, but also, you know, is it the right way of looking at things mm. and, and bringing that spirituality to your work as well um, and be able to bring that moral fibre at the same time. I have not heard of SQ. We talk a lot about IAQ being intentional adaptability quotient, which sounds like it's like quite strongly linked. So spirituality quotient, can you help unpack that, like define... It's happening a lot um, with with organisations and, and not completely at Microsoft, but I think it's more around when you look at the growth mindset mm. that we're deploying, when we're thinking about, you know, what are your broad um, objectives in life and how you align that to the kind of achievements you want to have. And I think, you know, it's really interesting that spiritual quotient is, is I think, what... Um, such as really brought to Microsoft and the way we've started to really embrace every person on this planet rather than just, you know, one-fifth of the population has some kind of disability Mm -hmm. and being able to embrace that component into into everything that we do has really been a very significant part of what our MD, our CEO, has brought to to the way of thinking and that's because of his spirituality that he brings to work Um, and so to unpack it a little bit more it's more about bringing that mindfulness and then being able to make that um, a significant and important aspect of what you bring, where you bring your whole self rather than yeah. bringing that cleansed thing to work. <laughs> like, that cleansed kosher, right? you know, bringing, a, a, you know, all the parts of you to The work. unpolished. The unpolished, <laughs> the real. <laughs> so you mentioned Microsoft. So you work at Microsoft. Yeah. So tell us about, I suppose, what it is that you spend your time doing at Microsoft. Okay, I'm a digital advisor, which is kind of like a new role. And I spend a lot of my time um, doing thought leadership, engaging with um, 
customers that want to look at the world in a different way. Uh, and it's really interesting because I think often there's there can be um, a degree of people that um, are still looking at technology in a previous Microsoft way where we were very closed and everything had to be all or nothing Microsoft and we weren't an open um, style mm -hmm. company. And over the past three years, that has dramatically changed. So we're the largest iOS developer in the world. We are now the second largest um, code provider to an open source Kubernetes platform, which is, you know, really hard to believe if you knew Microsoft four years ago. Mm. So, and so I spend a lot of time talking to people who are interested in the new Microsoft and the new ways of doing things and looking at a way of um, empowering um, uh, technology to be not just led by technical people, but also led by all people within organisations and, and um, you know, feeling like that everyone can get involved. Because I think gone are the days where, you know, you walk into a room with your business person and someone asks the business person a question and they go, oh, I don't know what that means. I'll ask my tech person. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like actually, you know, if we're going to become software companies and we're going to become AI literate and we are going to put the human first, then we have to embrace some of this tech to mm. be able to actually understand it rather than it just being something in the back that you don't really care about. And, and I find that that's a really exciting component of working at Microsoft and some of the stuff that I get to do. I'm challenged as to where to go next with this. So let's start with the work that you guys are doing that I've been observing that's been blowing me away around um, AI and using it as a force to create a more inclusive world. Yeah. So what's kind of got you excited in that space? And share with us a little bit about what you guys are doing, because I think it's unbelievable. Yeah, so it's part of our AI for Good program. Yeah. So we're looking at AI for good across um, agriculture and how that can dramatically improve some of the challenges we have in agriculture. Mm. Um, working with a range of different countries around the world that have a range of different issues, ranging from water issues or um, uh, you know arid issues or climate change issues, that kind of stuff. And so we have a grant that is being issued out around that, but we also work very closely around um, working with with organisations around that. So agriculture is a really big area. Um, climate change and species extinction is also a really big area. So we have a range of grants we give out for that, but also technology around that, how we can use computer vision, how we can um, use AI to better understand what's going on with climate uh, and as well better understand what's going on with our species. So that's a really big component. The other area is um, the work we're doing in um, the inclusive inclusivity and accessibility. Yeah. So we see AI is really dramatically changing the ability for um, people with all abilities to be able to have a more a, a more streamlined way to not only work but also um, be able to enjoy life and, and be part of society so and breach that gap so we started with things like the seeing AI project which is completely changing the lives of people with um, seeing dis with seeing um, issues so it allows you to send photos to the internet across a range of different channels and be able to identify people so mm. not just um, the people in the room their emotion their age but also little things like handwriting for example I was talking to a, a user of, of the seeing AI who has never been able to read a handwritten note from her daughter and now she can like use the seeing AI 
application and, and read post-it notes, handwriting, different applications, different things like that. Also helping them to dress, read currency. You know, like you know, how do you how do you cope with currency? You can use the Seeing AI to tell you how much money you have in your wallet. Those kind mm. of things. And the dressing is the funniest because it'll tell you if you know you're about to wear polka dots and stripes together. Oh. <laughs> so little things like that. The other one that we've just launched in Australia and it's really interesting because you, you when you you think about some of these applications and you think about designing them for all people um, often you think about you know seeing impaired so we launched this thing called soundscape which allows you to walk around the city and it tells you in a 3d sound on, on your phone or on an Android or iOS what's around you so you might be walking down the street and says to the left is you know the city square to the right is this and we're finding that people who have seeing disabilities love it but also people who don't love it too because it kind of gives them an audio guide of yeah. what's going on around them without having to you know walk into the person in front of you while you're holding your phone looking at google maps so so soundscape has been a really exciting launch that we've just done in australia as well and and we really go out to people and say you know take this technology and put it into your apps and we've developed an inclusive design technique as well where we bring in people with all range of disabilities and and tap into this um, these behaviors that often people with disabilities show that they have like these superpowers because they have this compensatory behavior of being able to cope with the world around them mm. and we tap into that and then design around it so that the actual application can be better for everyone I know, it's pretty insane. <laughs> so there, and there's two other components which I didn't talk about, which is the AI for humanitarian action. So when we're working, we've just launched um, a grant around that to just really help people who are displaced by disasters or political issues, those kind of stuff, and really help them to be more connected and, you know, save them from certain situations How by using AI. How does that work AI. at a high level? Um, so, you know, I think we kind of started looking at things like you know when twitter was was around and we were helping people in emergency situations to find people mm. but now this is more about looking more deeply at how we can use ai for humanitarian action to mm. um you know a predict areas that are going to have issues to be able to help people with displacement help them find um you know situations where um, they might find housing or employment yep. um, a lot of those kind of components so mm. That's an interesting one. And finally, there's the whole healthcare genomes AI area, which is a huge area. You know, anyone who reads um, futuristic books um, and has been looking at that side of things knows that as the organism becomes an algorithm, you know, we're going to need a lot of computing power to understand our own bodies. And um, tapping into the AI for good around genomics um, is a really exciting initiative that Microsoft's involved in as well. Mm, so I was speaking to Raymond from Singularity University, who yeah. is heavily involved in that later this week, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, and it's, it's a really exciting area. It's quite emerging, but it's mm. where where we can really start to see where you know dramatic change will will be will happen around the way we cope with disease uh, and how we can actually tap into some of this genome data to start to improve those 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 areas so we've spoken about all the fun and exciting and the you know like i think you can't Every technology can create an unbelievable miracle and equally it's like on the flip side could potentially create a terror if it was in the wrong hands. Yeah. And I think that I always say, you know, tech should be used to amplify human potential, not replace it. And I think there's so many wonderful things, especially in the health tech space, you know, and the sorts of things you're talking about, um, where we're going to be able to solve problems we've never been able to solve before. But on the flip side, what's kind of got you concerned 
about the future of tech, if anything? I do think sometimes tech does have a bit of a bad image, right? Yeah. And and I think, you know, what's going on with Facebook at the moment and what's going on with privacy and um, what people, you know, perceive to be a concern around the way data is used, I think that needs to be demystified. And I think at the moment that's, that's quite a, a difficult thing to do. But what I love about what, you know, it's really repositioning some of the people that just didn't have jobs for a while, the ethicists, the, you know, the people that, the anthropologists, the people yeah. that thought about the impact on society, they're coming back and they're deeply embracing some of mm. these changes and, you know, getting paid to have an opinion around these kind of ethical challenges that we yeah. have. And I see that as a really optimistic um, way of being able to reduce some of these risks that we have around it because the more we're able to understand the ethics of AI and the, you know, the fact that you are, you know, if you don't want to pay for something and you want to look at ads, etc., you know that you, are, you become the product. And so you start to understand, you know, how to manage the privacy of your data as well. And I think that's a maturity of us as human beings as we've mm. kind of entered this social media world where, you know, people perhaps are a bit addicted to their mobile phones and addicted to what's going on in social and, and I know it's affected young people in very different ways that we yeah. would, could never imagine. But to bring some of these people back to start thinking about it is so exciting. Um, so so there, there's some of my concerns is that, you know, we really need to make an effort to bring understanding of these technologies to normal people. And I've been doing that my whole life. You know, yeah. I, I started doing um, Bite Into It only because I believe that technology was one of the most exciting initiatives of our world. But if we all had techno fear, we wouldn't be able to embrace it. So to be able to like not be scared of technology, but, mm. but also begin to get your own understanding in the same yeah. way. Um, was we create really awareness. We enable people to actually positively direct where technology goes. Yeah, yeah. rather than it being held in the minds of technology technologists to actually bring it out into the people that traditionally communicate with us and it might not be the media it might not be sensationalized in that way it might be these higher initiatives around ethicists and um mm. our uh, our spiritual leaders sometimes that you yeah. know and so I, I saw the most amazing ai i nearly cried it came from milan and it was done by a monk who'd come out of um a minister you know a, a more of a kind of theological perspective and was able to put a lens on it around you know a spiritual aspect of AI and how to bring that and and these are the kind of conversations we need to have with people that aren't necessarily technologists just to start to understand the impact of what it's bringing and how you can influence that as well and mm. not necessarily just sit back and let it all happen yeah because yeah, I think that's what happened with Facebook we just sat back and went oh this is great because now I can talk to my cousin in Italy and you know I can find out what's happening with my family I don't need to visit them anymore and I don't have to remember people's phone numbers and you know but then all of a sudden we became they started to really you know understand our lifestyle and position advertising at us and you know really start to rape that data to use it for techniques that maybe we didn't want them to use it for no so but 
the passenger aspect is what we want to avoid and that terrifies me so yeah. and and I experience the passenger aspect a lot in my in my business world where business people go oh, too complex I don't want to know but it's really about being able to unpack just as much as you need to know so that you can be an influencer rather than just sitting back and not knowing what's going on. I totally agree. It blows me away with a lot of the speaking that I do, how few people understand how far advanced things are. So advanced. I went to an anthropology lecture. We have anthropologists at Microsoft. And um, she'd done a three-month study looking at what people think of... um, facial recognition mm. and the study was done in China, Germany and America and what was really interesting the Chinese today when they enter a train station it uses facial recognition to identify you, they don't have a Mikey, they don't have an Opal card, right, they're in on the train and if you happen to owe money to the government you can't catch that train. No I know because they're also using that same technology for so many other things like uh, yeah. citizen scores. And <laughs> yeah and it was really interesting because the Chinese had a totally different approach to facial recognition than the Germans and the Americans. Mm. So they loved it because I think that they've had a lot of this this communication that I'm talking about that comes from the spiritual leaders, yeah. the, the, um, the those kind of people that you know that we the thinkers that we believe in the philosophers you know Mm -hmm. the writers and they've had a lot of um kind of well you could also call it like kind of yeah they've had a lot of communication from them about the benefits of technology so they're not terrified whereas the germans they're still living in this world of paranoia around technology and so they if they use facial recognition they want it to have all this signage around it which makes sense right you are now entering a station we're using your photo to identify you um you're now in entering a building we're using your photo to identify you you're now using a bank we're using a fo- your photo and they want all this signage right yep. whereas the Americans are kind of also very different you know they're like they're very accepting of facial recognition technology in a government or um, a, a large situation like an airport but they're not accepting of facial recognition technology in a retail environment where wow. Where, like, you know, they might be using your data to understand your spending patterns or to identify you, to give you personalised service. Recommend things, yeah. Recommend things because I think they're so used to the Google and the Facebook and those kind of approaches where, you know, advertising's gone mad and the respect for personal, personal data is something that we gave up, yeah. but very unconsciously. Oh, so many things I could ask you. So... Um, I've got two more questions. The first one is um, it's come off the back of the person that actually connected us for today. Yes. So super Elaine. Yeah, machine learning. She's a STEM superstar. Oh, <laughs> well, she was good because she challenged me on my thinking, which I always love. Someone who gives me a different perspective. So my, uh, you talk about demystifying tech. So I was of the understanding from what I'd read and what I'd been told that machine learning, basically, what happens over time is it basically teaches itself. And then um, it will get to a point, for example, if it's doing uh, patient treatment and recommending what the treatment plan is for a patient, because it's learnt so much, say, over a four or five year time, when they provide a treatment plan and say the patient says, well, I want to know how you arrived at that, the machine can't tell you. I think that that is actually a very interesting point. And I was actually just in Seattle with the head of AI and one of the guys actually asked, there's no transparencies. And 
They're actually are some machine learning models that don't have transparency. And Alan was saying that... But there are actually some. are that do, yeah. right? And so depending on how you define and design your AI platform, mm. you want to be able to have some kind of transparency in that. So, you know, I heard stories about um, like the study of a bank that was looking at loans and the machine learning algorithm was only giving loans to men. Right, but that's because in that particular data they were using data from the 40s, right? And so it's really about being able to design your AI so that you're able to understand it, you reduce bias in the AI, yeah. and it's AI plus people. So it's not AI on its own. Yeah. So it's AI plus people, and um, and and I think that's so we have a lot of different um, ethical committees that now will look at our AI solutions because of the really bad experience we had with a bot we had in China. Mm. So it was working really well in China. It would actually learn from the, the, um, the questions and answers that were given by the human beings. But then when we moved it to the US, it became really racist because it was learning from the American. Oh, I read about this. Yeah? yeah? And so what we've done is now when we launch that kind of machine learning environment, we choose where it learns from mm. rather than learning from, from anyone. From anyone. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, so it's a lot of that experimental stuff that's been going on. And I think machine learning is still a bit experimental. Yeah. Um, and so it is about the design and making AI and people pay because that way you can actually design a system that you can have transparency associated to it. You can ensure there's no bias um, and you can actually see what's going on with the with the machine learning. But because I think, you know, machine learning is so powerful. Oh, unbelievable. And I think, like you say, if you, if you can build in the transparency so that you can actually explain a decision that's arrived at five, ten years, you know, yeah. after it's been created... That's fine. I think the problem is people get very concerned when there's, they don't have control and there's no transparency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do need to choose your models properly. Mm. Um, you know, we're part of an ethics, a big, a global ethics committee at the moment. So yeah. there's a lot of work going on in that space. And, and I think people will become more informed as they invest in these machine learning platforms. Mm. Because gone are the days that you used to have your machine learning boxes in your own environment and I think there's going to be a lot more um, scrutiny around how that data is used like even last a couple of weeks ago I went to this amazing talk by um, a lawyer at ANZ and she was telling the story about how at the moment no one owns your own genomic um, data yeah and there's a lot of people that are tapping into you know we'll tell you your history we'll, we'll do this blah 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 send us your genomic data and then they own your genomic data and then they can start to you know use that to modify you know the way drugs are created etc and this lady was telling us that um you know sarah the the our amazing um female minister that we have in Canberra, mm. she had tried to launch a um, protection of our human genome mm. in 2010 that failed. But then there's also this whole, and this is where you bring in this whole spirituality, who actually owns the genome? Indigenous people believe that your genetic makeup actually belongs to your um, your uh, ancestors. It doesn't belong to you. And, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? If your, if your genetic data is open source because then we can actually do something to solve the wow. rather than being owned by you. Yeah. So there's a lot of these kind of 
thought patterns that we need to think about around, you know, um, these kind of new issues and new ways of looking. So it's big, meaty stuff. And the reality is often until we're in it, it's very hard to navigate it. Yeah, it is really big, meaty stuff. It is because... Um, and it's really exciting the way we're embracing a lot of our amazing Indigenous thinking. Mm. Like I actually went to a thinking session with Mikola Jade, who's one of the winners of the um, Verve Clicquot Entrepreneur Women, and she's done lots of amazing things in terms of empowering the Indigenous to, you know, develop mixed reality, um, you know, a, a, keeping of their culture um, and, and you know maintaining a lot of that side of things and also looking at the way they think differently differently it's such an exciting thing to bring to work um, and to bring to our thinking and this whole idea that your genome belongs to your ancestors I just think it's just amazing and an amazing thing to embrace well, because it comes with a sense of responsibility when it's not just yours yeah, yeah. it really does and um, yeah and, and I think it's, it's it's just an amazing initiative if we were to look at looking at something like that and bringing some of this new thinking or it's actually really old thinking that's probably why it's so sophisticated bringing it back so my last question is a bit quirky so what one question do you wish people would ask you that they never do oh my god Uh, i don't know actually uh i've I've been interviewed by some amazing people and Mm. you're pretty amazing um so the one question you know maybe I don't know. What are you curious about at the moment? What's got you curious that you know sort of a little about but not a lot that you kind of, you know, have... Because you're in a pretty interesting space. So Um, I'm intrigued to know what makes you... I'm actually quite embarrassed, actually. Uh, I struggle to um, meet people where they're at. And I think it's a struggle for... If you've been involved in something for a really long time and you need to break down what you know into really simple elements. Yeah. And I'm still, that's one of my challenges and I'm still, and I think that's why I got involved in Pause Fest and I did the humanising innovation because I really wanted to talk to people in a way that's not confusing. But I have to do that on a daily basis. And um, yeah. <laughs> but I love that, it's so honest. Yeah, so, so yeah, so... I actually, I know that that is one of my little issues in that um, I tend to confuse people so much <laughs> because, you know, it is... You're talking about very complex stuff. I'm talking about complex which stuff. Which is not um, familiar. Like I was saying, 80% of the population don't even know how far advanced things are, let alone what exists. Yeah. So trying to break that down for, the, you know, someone who's not in your space, when when it all seems so familiar to you, is makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and so so sometimes I wish people would ask me, you know, how do I do that? Because the more I can talk about it, I think the better I'll get at it. Because I think it's it's a real skill I've been trying to develop my whole life. <laughs> because yeah. I think there's no point being a genius if you can't explain what you mean. And um, and I think that's why I, I, I love to go out and just be in social situations yeah. and talk to people about what I do and what I believe in. And so much comes out of that for me. Um, because all of a sudden you're not in a meeting room and you're not like trying to prove something and you're in a different situation and um, yeah I find that that really really helps me a lot in this overcoming this challenge (laughs) I think you rock (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat today it's been absolutely wonderful pleasure I hope um, everyone enjoyed listening to the podcast and you keep listening to 
being human. Is that what it's yeah, called? Human first. Human first. Forget mobile first. Forget developer first. <laughs> it's human first. Tell <laughs> us if people want to find out more about, about what you're doing, because I know that you're pretty active on social and you're always doing some quirky, fun stuff. Where would they find you? The best thing to do is follow me on LinkedIn. I'm a avid, avid poster. I'll tell you everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And you can also, you know, look back at some of my posts as well. Um, I do a lot of um, actual blogging on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a great time on Instagram, Rita Arrigo, <laughs> Twitter. Um, but, yeah, they're all great examples. And I do issue out lots of links and videos and learning platforms there as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First Podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanising the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.